All right, we are starting a brand new series today on heaven. I love those reflections uh, from the children of what they believe uh, heaven will look like. Uh, I wonder if we were to put each of us on the spot and we were to ask us, what do you think heaven will be like? Uh, it might be a lot of empty stares and a lot of ums and ahs, because the reality is we're not really sure what to think about heaven. I think for most of us, uh, our perspective is, is that, you know what, the Bible doesn't really tell me what all to expect about heaven. And because we believe that, uh, what we do is we let culture speak into us and shape our imagination around heaven. And so I think a lot of us, our perspective of heaven is probably more shaped by movies and books and music uh, than it is by scripture and God's revelation for us. And so for many of us, perhaps our view of heaven isn't quite what God would have us imagine heaven to be like. And I think for many of us, uh, we really kind of end up in a place like this uh, where when we think of heaven, we think, oh, we're on a cloud. Uh, if you can't see the picture, the little thought bubble says there, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Uh, and this uh, picture from uh, the Far Side by Gary Larson, and you've got this guy on a cloud, and he's got wings and a halo, uh, and spoiler alert, uh, we will not have wings or a halo, and we won't be sitting on a cloud. Uh, heaven is really nothing like this at all. But many of us, we don't know what to think about heaven, and maybe to be more clear and specific, perhaps many of us, we don't think about heaven that much at all. And our eyes are much more focused on what we go through day to day. I'm, I'm worried about work and I'm worried about school and I'm worried about the things that I've got to do or accomplish. I'm worried about my relationships. I'm worried about uh, the future that I have here on this earth. And we think very little about heaven. And here's what I, I want us to reflect on is that is incredibly damaging to our heart and soul when we don't think about heaven or when we have a skewed idea about heaven. And I thought about, you know, how do I know when I don't have a clear picture of heaven? And a couple of things uh, came to me in my prayer time. I thought, you know, these are clear indications. One is our language about God and heaven. And specifically, when we say things that use language that doesn't honor God or the life that he has for us, we say things like, well, the big guy upstairs, or when I see St. Peter at the pearly gates. You know, those are reflections uh, that reveal to us that we don't really have a clear picture about who God is and about what we have in heaven. But the other thing I thought about was not just that language that doesn't honor God or the life that he has for us, but it's also this deep fear that we have of death. And I don't just mean like what I'll experience at the moment of death or getting to death. I think mean, many of us would, if an honest, we were honest with ourselves, we would say, I have a deep fear of death and what happens on the other side. And the reason is because we don't have a clear understanding of the hope and the promise that God has for us in heaven. So what we want to do through this series is to really have an imagination based on what God's revelation is to us about heaven. And what I want you to understand is that the scriptures we're going to walk through today and over the next few weeks is really just the tip of the iceberg because the Bible is actually 
full of descriptions about what we can expect when it comes to heaven. And I want us to expand our thinking about that. So what we want to do, we want to, number one, encourage you. We want you to be encouraged that God does have a promise and a hope for us in heaven of eternal life with him, not being bored on a cloud, wishing we had a magazine, but there's going to be an incredible life with God and with one another that we can't possibly imagine how wonderful and great it's going to be. Number two, we want to expand your thinking about heaven. My hope is that you will be so inspired through this month that you will dive into scripture and you will discover for yourself the richness of God's descriptions and promises about heaven. And no longer will we be driven by movies or TV shows or music or books or or anybody's stories about some experience they might have had. We want you to be driven by what God reveals to us about his promises, this hope that we have in heaven. And then number three, as we want to spark your your thinking, uh, your processing about heaven, and we hope to wrestle with some good questions about what heaven is, what we can expect. And we are inviting you starting today to send in your questions related to heaven and hell and life after death. Uh, You can send questions to getwellchurch uh, slash questions. You can scan the QR code on your handout in your seat this morning and send those questions in. And on October 30th, we're gonna try to wrestle with as many of those as possible. And any that we're not able to, uh, we're gonna find a way to answer those for you uh, in some fashion as well. All right, so what we're gonna do today is we're going to take a 30,000-foot look at the idea of heaven and hell. And we're actually going to go through the content of the whole month, uh, the content of this entire series, but we're going to do it from a broad perspective. And in the weeks to come, we're going to do a deep dive into what happens when I die in that moment. Uh, What happens uh, in heaven? What can I experience? What can I look forward to? What will that be like? And what is this new heaven and new earth that I've heard so much about? What does that look like and what does that mean? And then we're going to wrap up with a QA and a on the, the fifth week. But today a broad looks, let's dive in. Here's the first thing I want us to understand is that the idea of heaven and hell is not just a New Testament idea. The Old Testament is actually full of ideas, of descriptions, of content about life after death. And the first thing that we need to understand as we look through the Old Testament is this, Sheol is the place of the dead and the Old Testament. So as you're reading through Scripture, if you're reading through the Old Testament, anytime you find the word Sheol, and a lot of times it might be translated uh, even something different. It might be uh, the place of the dead. It might be uh, translated as the grave. But almost always the word is Sheol. It's talking about not just a physical grave, but it's talking about the existence of life after death. Now, there are so many scriptures in the Old Testament that we could pull from. I just pulled one. We don't have time to go through all of them, but I pulled one from Psalm 89 that describes it. It says, remember how fleeting is my life for what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death or who can escape the power of, in this translation, this is the NIV, it's the grave, but in the Hebrew, it's the word Sheol. And it's not just talking about a physical grave. Again, this is talking about an awareness, an existence, a life after death. 
And it's not just in the Old Testament. Jesus actually teaches about this, looking back into this Old Testament understanding of life after death. And he explains to us what it looks like. And one of the most clear pictures of that is in a parable Jesus teaches of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. Let's take a look. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, and this, this is talking about hell, in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony with this fire. And something interesting as you look through uh, the scriptures about heaven and hell, hell is always described as a place, not just of torment, but of, of increasing uh, unbelievable thirst. This is an interesting tidbit about what we would experience in hell. Verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What a powerful image that Jesus gives us as we know on the other side that Jesus himself would go to the grave and rise from the dead. And even still, there are so many who refuse to believe and repent and receive the gift that God has for us by faith in Jesus Christ. That even if someone dies from the dead, they will not repent. Now here's what I want us to see about Jesus' description of life after death. There is a place of torment that we call hell. Jesus used the word Hades. I want you to notice in Luke 16 how many times it's described as a place of torment, of fire, of burning, of thirst, of agony. But there's also a place of comfort that we know is heaven. Lazarus went to a place where he was comforted at Abraham's side. Uh, many call this place the place of Abraham's bosom where we're embraced by Abraham because of our faith in God and, and we receive comfort from, from God himself, uh, healing our wounds, giving us life, comforting us the pain that we've had on earth. But I want us to understand something. Is the point was not just for us to be comforted. The purpose of God's grace is that we would be with God that we would do life with God, that we would be with him in relationship with him, connected to him. And so Jesus comes to the earth. 
He lived a perfect life. He gave his life, his body as an atoning sacrifice. He took our place. He died on the cross that he would experience death. And we need to understand Jesus was in a sinless body, meaning that death was not going to come to him naturally. He was not under the curse of sin. And so he gave his life on the cross. He gave up his spirit to God, the gospels tell us, so that he could experience death. He could destroy sin. He could conquer death in our lives and offer us eternal life. Why? So that we could be with God. Now, there's a couple of views of what this looked like for what we call the Old Testament saints, those Old Testament people who believed uh, in God and his promises, and they followed him, they served him, they believed that a Messiah was coming. One of the views is that God's atoning work was looking back even before it happened and applied to them. That's a minority view in the church. But most believe that when Jesus died, based on 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, uh, based on Ephesians chapter 4, uh, that Jesus, when he died, he went to the grave, he preached to those who had rejected God, he rescued those who believed in God. Ephesians tells us that he ascended and brought captives with him. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And the majority believe that, that Jesus went and he rescued those who were in Sheol and brought them into the heavenly throne room to be with God where you and I will be when we have faith in Jesus, when we follow him, believing in him, that we too will be with them in God's presence. Not just a place of comfort, but a place of comfort and God's presence with us. Here's what we can know about that. Is that when we die... We're with Jesus in what we're going to call the intermediate heaven when we have faith in him. So when we trust in Jesus, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe with our heart, the moment we die, we are brought with Christ into his presence, into what we understand today as heaven. But we're going to call it the intermediate heaven, and that'll make sense in just a minute. Now, a couple of places that we're encouraged with this promise. One is John 11. Let's take a look. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, he's talking to Mary after her brother Lazarus has died. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That when we leave this earth, it is not the end. It is just a beginning that we live on. And when we have faith in Christ, we experience something even greater. An eternal life with God. Jesus talks about this in John 14. Look at verses 1 through 3. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So when we die and we leave this earth, we are in the presence of God with Jesus and he's preparing that for us. 
Now, there are dwelling places. They were not floating on clouds. It's not just a bright light. But there's a physical place where we experience the love and the presence of God. And we live with the gifts that God has waiting for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, another promise that we're given. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. There's that same language that Jesus uses in John 14. Not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Isn't that beautiful? And don't we experience that groaning and hurting and the pain and the longing for something more than what we're experiencing? That's what Paul is talking about. But it's going to be swallowed up, not by death, but by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, that we have the Holy Spirit giving us promises of what's to come, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. All right, a couple of things I want us to see about what Paul is saying is number one, that our mortal bodies have to die. Our physical bodies are marred by sin. They're under the curse of sin. So they cannot go into the holy presence of God. And so we have to let go of this flesh and blood. It has to die away. The Bible is full of depictions about you've got to be born again. You've got to be taken on a new life. You've got to have new uh, life in Christ. The spirit is a promise of things to come, not what is. And so this body has to die away. And the question is not if we die, but when we'll die. And the life that we live is not a count up, it's a count down until we experience and step into those promises God has for us. But we know that it's not just that this body will die, but that we're going to step into heaven with Christ. That there's something greater to come for us. And that we're going to experience that immediately when we leave this earth. I love what Jesus said on the cross to the man next to him. Today, because of your faith, today you will be with me in paradise. Not one day deep in the future, not like, you know, maybe thousands of years from now, today you're going to be with me in paradise, that we will experience heaven immediately. And it's going to be amazing, unbelievably good. Paul actually talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. You go, just write that scripture down, go read it this week. He says, I knew a man, many believe it was Paul himself, but I knew a man 14 years ago who was called up to the third heaven. Now, what is the third heaven? The Hebrew people only had one word for heaven. The first heaven was sky. The second heaven was what we call space. And the third heaven is what you and I think of as heaven. And he said he was called up to heaven and it was so unbelievably great and amazing and incredible that you cannot utter it with words. That's going to be more amazing than what you and I could ever hope or imagine. But here's what's really cool about this is that even that heaven is not all that is waiting for us. It's not the end. 
There's actually something more than even what we understand as the heaven now. That's why we call it the intermediate heaven. God has more to come. That we have this promise in scripture that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Now, as you read through scripture, you're going to see a word. It actually is, uh, appears in the New Testament and the Gospels more than any word. Jesus talked about this idea more than any other idea. And it's from Genesis to Revelation, and it's the word kingdom. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of heaven than anything else. And as you read through the Old Testament and you see the word kingdom, it often follow, is followed by a description of what God wants to do for the people of Israel. And I want you to notice that all of the descriptions about the kingdom in the Old Testament have yet to be fulfilled. I mean, it talks about Israel being the richest nation of the earth and, it, and all nations coming to Israel and, and having no enemies and no wall and no need for protection and, and you don't have to work the land and it's just abundant and none of that has been fulfilled yet. It's talking about a heaven yet to come. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament and he builds on that understanding of kingdom and he says over and over and over and over again, the kingdom of heaven is like. What is he talking about? He's talking about God's new creation on earth where heaven will literally come to earth. God will literally live on earth. And there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more heartache, no more struggling, no more difficulty. And creation will be perfected and we're going to experience amazing things. We're going to talk about this in week three. But just to kind of whet your appetite, we're going to experience the animal kingdom. We're going to experience unbelievably good food. We're going to experience perfected relationships and friendships with one another. We are going to experience unbelievable beauty in nature. And we're going to experience the presence of God with us. We have all of that waiting for us in the new heaven, the new earth, the kingdom that is to come. Now, where do we get some of these promises? Too many for us to go through today, but I want to give you three just so you can see some examples. Isaiah 65, verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. This word new, new heavens, new earth, in the Hebrew, it means not yet seen, not yet experienced. That what God is going to bring is not just an improvement, but it is something greater. It's a whole other category than anything that we know. It's going to be better than anything we can imagine. All right, think about uh, another promise from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We're going to have brand new bodies. You look at the gospel accounts of Jesus. It is unbelievable. The disciples meeting in a locked room and boop, Jesus walks through a door. He walks through a wall and he's there with them with this new body. Thomas is like, I can't believe until I put my hand in his side and I touch the holes in his hands. And Jesus says, okay, here you go, have a touch. There was, it was a new body. He wasn't some ghost floating around. It was a physical body that could be touched. I think about Jesus. He met with the disciples. They're out fishing. And he says, come in, let's have a conversation. And he has breakfast with them. He eats with them. He's on a walk to Emmaus, and then immediately he's with the disciples in a moment. There's something incredible, but it is still a physical body. 
And you and I will be resurrected to a glorified body just like Christ, who is the first fruits. Or Revelation 21 promises this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, building from Isaiah 65. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Remember how I said the descriptions of hell are so often about being thirsty and in agony. And here Jesus says, I will meet your thirst for those who by faith enter my kingdom. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I'll be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And as we look through this list, you know, it's easy to point our finger, but the reality is, is without the work of Christ, we could find ourselves someplace in this list. And the truth is, is that we have one and only way into the, the presence of God in heaven, in the new, new heavens and new earth, and that's by faith in Christ, by the grace of God. It's not about showing up to church or a Bible study or doing good things or being a good person or going on a mission trip. It is by faith and faith alone that, Lord, I surrender to you. And in return, we get this unbelievable gift of God. All right, so what can we know about this new creation? Three things. So if we've got a new heaven and a new earth, here's what we know. That those without faith are moved from hell, the Sheol, Hades that Jesus was talking about. We're moved from hell to the lake of fire. That in the new creation, all things pass away and God brings a new creation into being. And in that new creation, there's a new heaven and a new earth, but there's also a lake of fire intended for Satan and his demons. But all who do not believe by faith are gonna spend eternity in this lake of fire. But there's good news that those with faith join God on the new earth. This new earth that we're going to see in a couple of weeks that is full of, of animals and nature and food and relationships and beauty. There's going to be art and music and, and new things happening all the time under God's rule without sin. It's going to be amazing. This is what we have to look forward to. And in that we are resurrected to glorified bodies. Sometime before we enter the new heaven and the new earth, God's new creation, we're gonna receive those glorified bodies just like Jesus. This is what we have to look forward to. The Bible is not silent on what we have to hope for in heaven. All right, so we're to sum up today. We've gone through all these scriptures and all these points. What can we take away? Five quick things. 
Truths about heaven. Number one, heaven and hell are real. And the decision that we make, whether to follow Christ or not, has internal consequences. And listen, to not make a choice is to make a choice. That we have to say, Lord, you are my only hope. I trust in Christ, my Savior, my Redeemer. Number two, in heaven, we will not spend eternity bored or alone. We're going to find in the weeks to come, it's going to be unbelievably action-packed. There's going to be things that God is doing and allowing us to experience. Not some on the cloud wishing we had a magazine. God has some amazing things waiting for us. Number three, in heaven, we will not be ghosts after death. Jesus wasn't you know, floating around like he was on Ghostbusters. Jesus had a body. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to have new bodies, glorified bodies, in the new heavens and new earth to come. The heaven of right now is not the heaven that will be. We call it the intermediate heaven because we know we're waiting on the new heaven and new earth. And then finally, we cannot imagine how amazing heaven will be. We can't possibly imagine what God has waiting for us. And so we don't have to fear death because we know that something greater is to come. All right, so here's the bad news is that all of this has been set up for today's sermon. But here's the good news is that today's sermon is only gonna be about a minute and a half. All right, so here, here's what I want us to really take away today. Colossians 3, verse uh, 1 through 4. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. I think many of us, we, maybe we carry around this fear or this idea that we would be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. But really it's the opposite that is true is that many of us are too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. And when we're not any heavenly good, then we're not doing the purposes and the plans that God has for us in this life because earth is just a tiny sliver of what God has intended for us. And when we fix our minds on heaven, here's what we can I promise you we will experience, we'll have less anxiety and fear. We'll have a greater hold on our purpose. And with that, greater joy, greater peace, better relationships with one another. And so many of the things that seem to be so important and drive us crazy and frustrate us and make us upset will begin to lose their hold on us because we know what's to come. Let's be heavenly minded on the hopes and the the promises that God has for us. And we've got to understand this, this one truth. This is what the, the foundation, the cornerstone the Bible calls of our entire faith is that we enter by the grace, by faith, and Christ alone.